Thanks for worshiping with us. What a powerful time together as we lift up the name of Jesus. That's what God does. When we lift up his name, he moves in our life in, in ways that we never thought were possible. He breaks chains of sin, of addiction, of, of just junk that has been happening in our lives, and he sets us on a path of freedom. Amen. And we're just so thankful for that because every single person in this place, God has a plan for and whether you've discovered that plan yet or not, uh, man, we just want you to know from the get-go that God has a plan for you today. And so we're going to jump into his word in, in the last installment of our Steward Well series. And today is something that, man, we don't necessarily think of when we think of stewardship. Uh, you know, over the past three weeks, we've talked about our time, we've talked about our talent, and we've talked about our treasure um, and, and those things are, are kind of normal. Maybe, you, maybe you've, you've heard some about time management or time stewardship. Maybe you've heard about, you know, managing your talents. And, or maybe, you know, in the corporate world, your strengths. Um, and maybe you've, you've heard about stewardship when it comes to finances. But today I want to talk to you about stewardship when it comes to your influence. Because here's what we know about influence. Everybody has it. Every single person that will ever walk the planet has influence. And so, uh, but before we get into our message today, I want to take a little poll. Let's have a little fun. Uh, how many of you are super traditionalists and you had turkey on Thanksgiving? Any of you just rebels and you did not have turkey on Thanksgiving? We've got some rebels in the house. Me and one of my best friends uh, back in Illinois a few years ago, both of us uh, didn't have family living in town, and so we started a, a new tradition of having steak on Thanksgiving, and let me tell you, it was a great tradition while it lasted, but I, we were back to Turkey this year with our family, and it's just as good, um, and, and so what did I do? I had steak the day after Thanksgiving, <laughs> and, and it was really good the day after as well. Um, how many of you, though, just had a different uh, Thanksgiving this year, and maybe you went out to eat? Any out-to-eaters? Any, no one went out to eat? Oh, yeah, we got one down here in the front row. Um, but how many of you know the best kind of cookie is the one you did, or the, the best kind of turkey, uh, cookies too, uh, for that matter, but the best kind of turkey is the one you didn't have to cook. How many of you did not have to cook the turkey? You got to enjoy somebody else's turkey, and it tasted better, didn't it? It just always tastes better. But, man, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know that I did. Went up to my brother's house in Mason, and it always tastes better when you don't have to cook it. And so that's what I'm thankful for uh, this Thanksgiving. Uh, but man, had a great time with family, got some good rest. I hope you did too. Uh, but hey, we rest and we, we take these down times of, of a vacation or time off uh, to fuel us up. Why? Because God has given us purpose in life. And one of your greatest purposes in life is to use the influence that God has given you for his glory and his honor. And so if you've missed any of the last few weeks of messages, I just want to encourage you to jump online and check them out. But like I said, today we're going to talk about influence. And listen, I love what John Maxwell says. He says, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. Leadership is influence. Leadership is not position. It's not personality. It's not status. It's not talent. So much of the time we attach leadership and influence to those things. Like you only have influence if you have this title or that title. But it's just not true. I have influence. You have influence. And so when we have influence, 
when we add ourselves plus our influence, it means that I'm a leader. You're a leader. If you ever rub shoulders with another human being, you have opportunity to influence. And I'm pretty sure that every single person in this place has met another human. And so that means that you and I have influence. And when we add ourselves with our influence, it equals I'm a leader. You might say, Joe, right off the bat, you're arguing with me and you're saying in your own head, you're like, Joe, I'm not a leader. I don't have any influence. I've never had the opportunity to lead anyone. And to that, just unequivocally today, I would say that's not true because you get to lead yourself every single day. And you are the most difficult person that you will ever lead. The hardest person in your life to lead is the one that uses your toothbrush. There's a progression of leadership in everybody's growth. Man, those that go on to lead others, they start out leading themselves really well first. And so you lead yourself well, then you go on to lead others, and then you lead leaders, and then some people grow to a place where they're leading leaders of leaders, right? Some people have term, uh, coined a term called 360-degree leadership, where you don't just have influence down on people you lead, but you influence your peers, the people that are kind of lateral with you. You influence the people above you, your leaders in life. You can influence up, down, and all around. And so as we talk about our influence and in, in stewarding the influence that God has given us today, before we get too much further, I just really want you to know why. Why do we talk about influence? Why are we talking about stewarding our influence? Why are we connecting it, connecting it to leadership? Why? Because people are precious. For God so loved the world. He's not talking about the dirt and the trees and the oceans and the animals. When God says he loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to die in their place, he's talking about you, he's talking about me, he's talking about his most prized possession, people. And so when we talk about influence and stewarding it, why do we talk about this? Because people are precious. People matter to God. And so when we, when we say, man, God, I want to steward my influence, we're saying I want to steward my interactions with other people, not so I can climb a ladder, not so I can have more power, not so I can be this, that, and a bag of chips. I, I do all this, God, because when I interact with people, the people that I interact with really matter to you. That's why influence matters so much. It's not just pop culture. It's not just, you know, trying to get things done. It's not just taking people from here to there. It's not just, you know, lording something over people like I get to call the shots. That's not the heart at all. Why do we steward our influence? Because God loves people and you and I should too. One thing I've learned over the years is that a leader never talks. They are always leading. A leader never just talks, never just says stuff. They're always leading. 
And we see Paul doing this with purpose as he writes to the Thessalonian church. And so uh, for all of today's message, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to walk all the way through this chapter. And I think this is such an amazing example of leadership because Paul isn't just talking here. He's not just writing a letter. He's not just being, you know, somebody who's being warm with encouragement. Paul is leading and leading strong. Let me give you just a little background in 1 Thessalonians 2. The church in Thessalonica, this is uh, modern-day Greece, okay? And so if you go on your map today after church, you'll see Thessalonica. It might be spelled Thessaloniki, Greece, okay? It was under heavy persecution at this time. Paul had gone there, and he had planted a church. He had preached and, and they, people had gotten saved and they started this church in Thessalonica. And the church there was under heavy persecution. The Jewish religionists had risen up against Paul and the church and they were set on destroying both Paul and the church. They enlisted all the Gentile citizens they could to join their attack on the church. They convinced the people that, that the preaching of Christ would destroy their freedom and affect their jobs and businesses. So there, were, there was this all-out society attack on the church in Thessalonica. The, persecu the persecution became so violent that Paul was forced to flee for his life. However, his absence did not stop the persecution. The attacks on, against the church and on its believers continued one form in which the persecution took was to destroy the reputation of Paul. Accusation after accusation was leveled against Paul, and rumor after rumor was spread about him. Sometime in the last few weeks, I, I talked about Paul and, and the, the experience that he had on the road to Damascus. When he got knocked off his donkey or his horse or whatever he was riding, he was in the dirt and he heard the voice of God calling him. And so from there, somebody that persecuted Christians to now Paul is traveling on missionary journeys, planting churches, and the very church that he planted was now being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And so Paul had to leave, he had to run for his life, but he's still a leader and he's coaching this Thessalonian church on how to get through. And so just setting the stage, here's Paul, there's a church, there's persecution, it's hard to be a Christian. These people had just become believers. And so for all intents and purposes, these are baby Christians and it's like sink or swim. Paul's here for a moment and then he, for and maybe top six months and then he's gone. When you think about the Thessalonians and the church and what they had to go through, man, it sure makes you thankful for, about, for all the freedoms that we experience now, right? That we get to come into a church and comfort, sit on nice cushy chairs, um, have an incredible sound system and a great worship team that, that leads us so excellently in worship. Where the Thessalonian church, they were probably in, in house churches and meeting sometimes in secret and afraid just to even mention their faith. We can learn huge things from Paul here about stewarding our influence though. And what better way to learn from somebody that has led 
than when they lead through really hard times or when they lead through tough circumstances. You see, when tough circumstances come up in life, man, the leaders rise to the top. And so Paul steps forward and he writes this amazing letter to the Thessalonian church. And here's what we're going to learn about influence today. That if I want to steward my influence well, I need to remember these seven things. And so follow along with me as we walk through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first thing we see is that perspective is everything when it comes to stewarding your influence. Perspective is everything. Verse 1, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Can you imagine Paul goes to plant a church? He's there for six months and then he's gone. He has to leave. I can imagine if I was one of the ones left behind in that Thessalonian church that I might be, well, be thinking, well, what was that for? We are barely get this thing off the ground and our leader's gone. And so Paul is writing back to these people and saying, hey, my visit, even though it was short, it was not a failure. I can imagine that the Thessalonians must have felt underprepared. Have you ever been thrust into something unexpectedly that you weren't ready for? Maybe like COVID? Maybe like 2020? (laughs) You're thrust into this thing. You had no control over it. You're not ready. You have no idea how to get through it. You feel completely underprepared. Can you imagine trying to plant a church in six months? I can't. Listen, we all need leaders in our life that step into tough circumstances and reframe it and speak life into it. And sometimes you and I have to do that for ourselves because nobody's there speaking into our ear or writing that letter at just the right time. And sometimes we have to say to ourselves, hey, my life, And all this stuff that I wasn't prepared for, maybe you came into your family and and you grew up with parents that maybe were less than stellar and you were like, God, I wasn't prepared for this. And you have to, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the truth that comes from God's word, say to yourself, my life was not a failure. Even though my circumstances were less than great, my life is not a failure. Because I can be who God created me to be because of the Holy Spirit's power inside of me. You see, when when somebody wields influence with improper perspective, it's like a bull in a china shop. That's why these parents getting on stage this morning and saying, I'm going to lead these kids to follow Jesus is so important. Because they have the right perspective that these kids are a gift And my life is a gift and I get to steward these kids as a gift and help them find Jesus. Perspective is everything. And when you're going to start influencing others and when you're going to steward the influence that God has given you in life, you've got to have the right perspective, an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective that isn't about the current circumstances, but is about the realities of heaven. So when we influence. We're slow to speak. We're quick to listen. We're slow to get angry because everything that we do needs to be built on a perspective that, man, when we speak and when we move and when we act, 
it's building or tearing down our influence. And so Paul is writing this letter and he, he's not speaking quickly. He's taking time to shape the perspective. And so right off the bat, he's telling him, hey, my visit to you, it wasn't a failure. It wasn't a failure. Number two, when, we're gonna, when we steward our influence, we have to remember that a leader's character and motives matter. Verse 2, you know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Verse 3, so you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Verse 4, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Verse 5, never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends or just to get your money. Verse 6, as for human praise, we have never sought it from anyone else, from, or from you or for, from anyone else. Man, there's a few things that we can learn from this passage. But the first thing that we learn is that a, a leader with good character isn't destroyed by rejection, pain, or discomfort. Right off the bat, Paul's saying that, man, when I was in Philippi, I was treated badly. When I came to Thessaloniki, I was treated badly. But just because you're treated badly doesn't mean that you have to lose your character or that your motives have to get skewed or that you get off track. Even when you get rejected, even when you get treated badly, you can have good character. You can be a person whose motives stay true to the Father. Pressing on through pain is, is not only a necessity for a leader, but it also purifies your motives. It shows you why you're really here and what you're really about. And Paul is just reiterating. Remember, a leader never just talks. They're always leading. And Paul is teaching the Thessalonians through this that, hey, just because I was treated badly and just because you might get treated badly doesn't mean you get off track. Our purpose is still to please the Father. See, you have more compassion for other people when you've already been through it yourself, right? And Paul is identifying with their present troubles because now the Thessalonian church is being persecuted. They're going through tough times. And Paul's like, hey, I've been there, done that. I'm right there with you. I can only imagine that trust was not easy to come by for an outsider in those days. Paul comes in for a few months out of nowhere, and then he's gone. Paul comes in from the outside. He stays a short time. He has to leave. It would be easy to question his motives. He's been slandered by the community. He's been criticized heavily. You know, the best leaders in the world are criticized heavily. Especially these days, we got bloggers, we got the media, we got church people. We've, and the bigger difference that you make, the bigger target there is on your back. And so here, is, here Paul is standing up for the cause of Christ. There's a huge target on his back. And listen, every person that wields influence gets plagued by insecurity. I tell you what, when you step up and you step out to do something for the cause of Christ, you are going to have to face insecurity head on. You're going to have to face the, the first test of your character and your motives will be insecurity. 
I'm not good enough. They don't like me. Who am I? What do I have to give? Why in the world, God, did you pick me? We see it over and over and over throughout Scripture. And so Paul is modeling confidence here when he steps up and he says, hey, I'm not doing it to get your money. I'm not doing it to get your flattery. I'm not doing it to get your lip service. I'm doing it to put a smile on God's face. He's keeping his character and his motives pure. See, this is why Paul taught, taught Timothy that a leader should have a life that is above reproach. Don't give people the ammo. Don't give people the ammo. Keep your character above reproach. Keep your motives pure. Don't fall into the trap of people-pleasing. Let's bring this into our daily lives. How you represent yourself, whether it's on social media or on Facebook, you know, where you go, what you do, how you talk, how you live out your relationships. Are my choices growing my influence or taking away from it? And if my life had to go through the scrutiny, would my character and my motives stand the test? Paul is both secure in his identity and he's fighting for his integrity at the same time. I love it. He's being intentional about his influence and he's teaching at the same time. Number three, if you're going to steward your influence well, we see that a leader knows their people and their needs. A leader knows their people and their needs. Verse 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. Verse 8. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. This is so incredibly important as you steward your influence, that you're not just out... <clears throat> to get the job done, but you're there to do life with people. You know the people you're serving. For a mom, it could be your kids. For a dad, it could be your kids. For you at work, it could be your coworkers. You're there to serve them and to work with them and to help empower them. If you're a boss and you have people under you, you're there to serve them and to help them win, right? As a leader, you know you win when the people under you win, right? And so wherever your leadership finds you, wherever your influence finds you, even if you are just a friend, you're like, well, I, don't, I don't have anybody under me, but I have friends. You know what? You're there to help your friends win. And a leader knows their people and their needs. And so we see Paul here saying, hey, I'm here for you. It's not just about preaching to you. It's about doing life with you. And so real leaders never make people feel used. Real influence is birthed out of a real concern or care for people. If you're going to influence, if you're going to steward your influence well, you inspire with real relationship, real love, and real care. Why? Because people don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you're around here for very long, you're going to hear me say that a lot. Believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're doing your best to serve him and you're trying to live up to the standard that is Christ and, and trying to emulate Christ with your life, listen, you're not looking for converts. You're looking for people to spend eternity with. There's a huge difference. 
You're not just looking for decisions. You're looking to do life with people that are going to spend eternity with you in the presence of God. They're family. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Think of a mom's sacrifice. Think of a dad working multiple jobs to provide. This is the, this is the kind of imagery that Paul uses when he says, hey, I'm caring for you because I have influence in your life. Number four, if you want to steward your influence well, a leader goes the extra mile. A leader goes the extra mile. Verse nine, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. I love that. Once again, Paul's doing his best to live above reproach. He doesn't want to come across, he wants to work as hard as he possibly can so he doesn't come across as though he used anyone. Love that. But listen, as a leader, if you want to step up and steward your influence, there is always a cost. There's always a cost to leadership. It strikes me as funny when people want to enjoy the benefits of leadership but not pay the cost. There's always a cost, whether you're a parent. Listen, the, the moment you bring that baby into the world and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lead a family, there's a cost. Loss of sleep, loss of those fun guys' nights or girls' nights out, loss of doing whatever I want to do when I want to do it. There's always a cost. A personal example that is always just makes this vivid in my head is back in high school, I wrestled. <clears throat> and at the end of practice every day, you know, it'd be a long two-hour practice. The coach would give opportunity for people to stick around for another half an hour of, of pain <laughs> after practice, right? 90, 95% of the guys would take off because they've already given all they had for two hours, lost four to five pounds of sweat in an 80 to 90-degree wrestling room. Gross. <laughs> like, listen, it's just gross. You're dripping. And, and, but the coach would say, hey, if anybody wants to stick around, go the extra mile, I'll stay. Guess who stayed? The one wrestler on the team that won state four years in a row. The one wrestler on the team that went all the way. First place in state four years in a row. And if, you, and if you've ever been involved in a sport like that, you know how hard it is to wrestle at that level for that long, but he went the extra mile over and over and over. Listen, there's always a cost. If you're going to steward your influence, there's going to be a cost. Man, my mind goes to uh, when I was in the Philippines um, and touring around with a missionary doing evangelistic meetings um, during college and meeting a pastor on a small island out in the middle of nowhere kind of a place that wasn't the destination spot. It wasn't the big city, but it was a place where people needed Jesus. And meeting a pastor that because of his pastor's influence had decided to leave a good paying job and leave the, the comfort and the security of, of his hometown and go to a place that needed a church and to suffer so that 
those people could hear about Jesus. Right? There's always a cost. When you want to step forward into the life of influence that God wants you to live, there's going to be a cost. You're running the extra mile for others, not yourself. It's because, man, there's something driving you from the inside that God put there, right? A leader goes the extra mile. Number five, if you want to steward your influence well, you have to remember that a leader's authenticity is tested in their interactions with others. Listen to this, verse 10. You yourselves are our witnesses, and God, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very words of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. I love that. That Paul is like, hey, remember when we were with you, we treated you right. We did things well. We were above reproach. Your influence is going to be tested in your interactions with others. And listen, listen to these questions. What if your life is the front row seat that someone else has to what God wants to do in their life? What if when people watch your life, mom or dad, friend, coworker, it's their front row seat to what God might do in their life someday? What, what kind of show would they be watching, right? What kind of show would they be watching? If your life is the only example of following Jesus that some people are seeing, what are they seeing? Would you be able to write a letter like Paul saying, hey, when I was with you, I did it right. I led you towards Jesus. I pleaded with you. I encouraged you. I urged you to live your life in a way that God would consider worthy. Would you be the type of person that pointed people to Jesus? So much of the time, we don't hold ourselves to a high enough standard, but we hold other people to a high standard. Have you ever been there? I know I have. We want grace for ourselves and justice for everybody else. But Paul here, he's holding himself to the high standard. He's saying, hey, when I was with you, I was honest and I was faultless towards all of you. He's holding himself to the standard. See, that's what a leader does. They don't look at other people and say, you should do this and that. They say, hey, my life and my integrity is going to be tested in my interactions with you. And so I'm going to live above reproach. One of the things that blows me away in this passage is that Paul is claiming to speak for God if you're going to claim to speak for God, you better back it up with some good action, right? Believer, if you're going to be a disciple-making disciple, you better be authentic, right? And I don't say this as like condemnation. I say this to encourage us. Hey, if we're going to talk the talk, we better walk the walk, right? We better say, God, help me. 
And this is something that's a matter of prayer because I can't do it on my own. I got to depend on the Holy Spirit to help me be authentic, to help me follow through, to help me be a person that is true to my word. Listen, perfection is not the goal. Authenticity is. Authenticity is not being comfortable with your sinful nature. It's passionately pursuing holiness and Christ-likeness in spite of your shortcomings. And there's a big difference. You see, we have a culture these days sometimes in church world where, where people just say, oh, I'm just being authentic. And translated, that means they're, being, they're getting comfortable with their sinful nature. And that, that's not what Paul was doing. He was saying, I have faults, but man, I'm doing my best. I'm giving my all. I'm doing my best to pursue holiness. I'm doing my best to, to go after God. I know I have shortcomings. I know I've got, you know, things that I'm still working on. But man, I want to be an example to others in how to follow Jesus. Number six, if you want to steward your influence, you got to remember that a leader coaches through the tough stuff. A leader coaches through the tough stuff. Verse 14, and then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. And in this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us, too. They fail to please God and work against all humanity. As they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles, by doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. So you might read through that and be like, what's the point? Listen, Paul showed up in Thessalonica. He preached the word. People gave their heart to Christ. He leaves. Now these same people who are new believers are being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And what is Paul doing? He's, he's pulling them into the club and he's saying, hey, you know what? Now you're imitating those that are really following Christ in a great way. He's propping them up. He's coaching them. He's saying, hey, yeah, you're being persecuted, but you're imitating the believers in this other town that are also getting persecuted. And not only are they getting persecuted, but they're, they're staying true to their faith. They're staying strong in their faith. He's coaching them through the tough stuff. Isn't it even just a little odd to you that Paul didn't even pray for relief from the persecution? Think about that. He didn't say, oh man, I hope the persecution ends. He says, hey, way to go. You're participating in the sufferings of Christ. There's a huge difference. Listen, as a leader or as a person of influence and especially as a parent, as a parent, you're not always there to just get the people that you influence out of trouble or to get them out of harm's way. Sometimes you're there to coach them through it. Sometimes you're there to help them see that, man, the suffering that they're enduring is helping them become more like Christ. Man, that might sound a little harsh, but it's, it's scripture all day long. Paul didn't try to protect them from it. He led them through it. He gave them perspective. He gave them solidarity and he cheered them on as they imitated the other believers in other areas who were also getting persecuted. He gave them the right pep talk at the right time. Having someone in your life that can do this is so essential. The question is, will you let them? 
Will you let someone impart this kind of perspective to you in your walk with Christ? Number seven as we close today. <clears throat> if you're going to steward your influence, <clears throat> you need to remember that leaders are CEOs. Chief encouragement officers, right? Leaders are CEOs. They're the chief encouragement officers in someone's life. Listen to this, verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. Verse 18, we wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Verse 19, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns, it is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Imagine being on the other side of that letter. Imagine if you were the one that Paul was looking into your eyes and into your heart and into your spirit through this letter and saying, you are our pride and joy. Talk about encouragement. Talk about encouragement that this leader of leaders, Paul, this apostle of Christ, is looking at the Thessalonian believers, these young believers in the faith, and saying, you are our pride and joy. I love that. Paul is the chief encouragement officer here. He's leading the way. What kind of person would you rather be around? Someone that looks at you and says, man, you're our pride and joy. You're doing a great job. Keep going. Keep up the good fight. You stay strong in the faith. Or, or do you just want the person that points out all your faults? Listen, Paul challenged. He encouraged. He built up. Sometimes he even rebuked. But he always had encouragement for, the, for, for God's people. Listen, someone needs you. If you're going to steward your influence, you've got to remember that someone needs you to look them in the eye and call them your pride and joy. Someone needs you to be that person that shows up and says, man, you're going to be my reward and my crown when I stand before Jesus because I love you, I'm going to be there for you, and I'm going to help you. Listen. I do my best to be a good pastor. You know, I, I take pride in it, but I know more than anyone else that I can't be there for everyone always. I'm just one person. God never created me to be there for everyone always. I can't. It's humanly impossible. And that's why God gave us the church. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. He gave us each other so that we could all show up in each other's lives and give words of encouragement and build up the body of Christ. You see, someone needs you. They don't need me. They don't need just the kids pastor or the youth pastor or the small group leader or the whatever leader. They need you to show up in their life and to look them in the face and say, you're my pride and joy. Right? Listen, if you haven't noticed, every single one of these points take you out of the center and put somebody else in the center. 
right? Every single one of them. And so if you want to live a life of stewarding influence, you got to take yourself out of the driver's seat and say, God, use me. You got you to gotta first surrender your life to Christ. You remember when, <clears throat> that when Jesus came to lead, he put you first. When Jesus came to influence, he put you first. Those who knew that they were sinners and needed a savior. Those who were sick and lost and dying. He came for the sick. He came for those who were far from God. He put them first. <clears throat> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what Paul is doing here is he's simply doing what Jesus has already done for him. That's real leadership and that's influence. And so if you say, Joe, I wanna steward my influence, it starts with you accepting Jesus' gift of salvation in your own life. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. <clears throat> and you say, Joe, I want purpose in my life. I want to steward my influence. But before I do that, I need to first accept Jesus' gift. I need to accept Jesus' influence in my life. I need to accept the fact that he came to lead me. He came to influence me. He came to save me from a sinner's hell, to make me white as snow through his death on the cross, how he rose again on the third day. I need to submit to Jesus's influence in my life before I begin to start influencing other people. If that's you today and you've, you've been on a journey and you've come to realize this morning that you need Jesus more than anything, that if you're gonna live out your God-given purpose in life, to lead others and to influence well, that you need to put Jesus first in your own life. If that's you, with everybody's head bowed, your eyes is closed, this is between you and Jesus. If that's you this morning and you want to give your life to Christ, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. That's awesome. Thanks so much for those raised hands. Right now, we're at your seat. I want you to just pray a simple prayer. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for you on the cross. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Invite the Holy Spirit to take residence in your heart. And just let Jesus know that you're going to do your best from this day forward to live for him. To make him both Savior and Lord of your life. This is a turning point for you today. As you cross over from death to life because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. today and you say, Joe, I need to steward my influence better, putting people first, laying my life down for others like Jesus did for me. And I want to make the most of my influence. As I pray a closing prayer, if that's you today, just raise your hand. My hand's up too. Let's say, God, we need you. God, we need you to help us as we steward our influence. God, help us to realize that every interaction is God interaction. God, that every time we speak, we're representing you. God, that every time we influence others, God, we're, we're representing you and we want to lead them well. God, whether it be our friendships, whether it be our kids, whether it be our coworkers, whether it be leading up as we lead our bosses and, and those that you placed in authority over us, God. God, I pray that you help us to lead well. God, I pray that you help us to, to lay our lives down as we put other people first. 
God, that you help us to keep you, to keep our character and our motives pure. God, that you help us, give us endurance as we go the extra mile for others as we lead. Jesus, we want to be people that live out our God-given influence in a biblical way, in a way that points to you, in a way that just shines light on the cross of Jesus Christ. We want you to be magnified. We want you to be glorified. Help us, Jesus, to steward our influence well. In Jesus' name. church i've so enjoyed going through this series with you uh, man I, I get fired up about these topics and um, next week we're going to start a new series we're going to start a new series called a thrill of hope and we're going to turn our eyes towards christmas um, and we're going to celebrate this whole next month the coming of our savior and man it's going to be a great time together and so i encourage you to invite a friend as we start a new series next week as our, and on our journey towards Christmas. In case you're wondering, we will have a Christmas Eve service this year at five o'clock on Christmas Eve, uh, right here in this room. And so come ready to just have a great time with the family of God uh, that evening. It's a, I believe it's a Thursday night. Uh, this Thursday night, this uh, December 3rd at 6.30, we're gonna decorate the lobby for Christmas. And so if you like decorating, come get your decorating on with us. We're gonna have a great time. Uh, we'll have everything planned out, everything laid out. All you get to do, all you have to do is show up and hang out with people, and we're going to put the decorations up. Uh, on the 16th of this month, there's a youth event going on. Um, and so if you need to get your kids out of the house on Wednesday night, uh, we're going to go to seat 75. We're going to bowl. We're going to play putt-putt. Um, and kind of it'll be like kind of our Christmas event. And so if you have a student in 6th to 12th grade, uh, be sure and send them out for that. It's 15 bucks. Um, you can you can register online, and that will cover uh, their bowling and their pup-pup for the night, and we'll have a great time together. I think that's all the announcements. If you want to give, can, if you want to worship God with your giving, you can do that on the way out today, um, or you can do that online, as always. And so just from the bottom of my heart, thanks so much for your generosity as you support uh, what God is doing both here at Mosaic and also in the ministries that, that we support around the world. Um, and we'll just give all the glory for what he's going to do uh, through today's gifts. Amen. Amen. Let me pray and dismiss you today. God, I thank you for your people. Just bless them, bless their families. Thank you for the amazing Thanksgiving weekend we had. God, I pray for those that are lonely uh, this holiday. God, I pray that you just uh, be their portion and all they need. God, show up in their life. God, let your Holy Spirit be real to them uh, more now than ever. Um, God, and I pray that uh, you just help us to have a good day today as we celebrate you and just uh, bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.